All right. We've been going through First John on Wednesdays, just to, just a small little encouragement. Sundays we dive in deep and go for like 45 minutes or longer if I'm into it. Just kidding. <laughs> and uh, Wednesdays we're uh, we're studying through this, but mainly we're here to pray and uh, and to seek the Lord and to be there for each other. Um, but we're in chapter two, verse 12 through 15. We'll get through the first part of verse 15. Um, so I'll go ahead and read that for us now. It says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. We're going to stop right there. Um, now, this is an interesting part of the Bible, but probably one of the most confusing parts that I have ever read in my uh, time. It, John, when he's writing this, he doesn't, he's not like Paul. Okay, Paul, when he writes a letter, it's like logical and organized, and you have part A, part B, argument of A, and sub-argument, and it's just all so clear for us to understand. He's a very logical thinker. And John is writing this one, and it sounds like he is just like a hippie, dippy, I don't know what he's doing, but he is just going around in circles and like, you guys, and you guys, and you get a camel, you get a camel. That's <laughs> from the play we did. But it's just, he's just, it seems like he's all over the place. But a good way I've heard it described is that he's, it's more like uh, he's preaching a sermon and he's, it's, think of it like a spiral, is that he'll hit one topic and then he'll move on to another topic and then he'll move on to another topic and then he gets back to the first topic but he's at a different level and then he gets to another topic and another topic. So you kind of imagine the spiral that John is, is kind of weaving. And uh, the other letters um, in the New Testament are really more like letters, but this isn't like a letter. This is much more put together like a sermon, uh, like like he's having a conversation with a whole bunch of different people. And uh, so that kind of helps us to understand it. But if you look in your Bible, in this part, some of them like in kind of indent it, like it's like a poem even in the middle. And so this part that we just read actually is uh, like an older, um, like church nursery rhyme type thing, they think. It's something that that they were um, that everyone was uh, used to hearing, and John kind of brings this in uh, to to kind of teach about it and and to bring it to their attention. And um, so did some studying and found out what this little poem we'll call it a little poem what it's all about. And uh, I was pretty actually excited when I learned what it was all about, and I'll share it with you. Um, it's going to talk about three stages of life. And the three stages of life John brings up is, what is it, children, young men, and fathers. And like we said with the spiraling thing, 
he's going to spiral, spiral around to each one, and he's going to kind of hit a little topic for each one. Um, but in, even though there's three stages of life and three stages of life for a believer, um, God is still the center of each one of these stages of life. So no matter where you're at in your walk with the Lord, the Lord is just as much the center. And remember, we've been, this whole book, if we were to back out again and look at the whole book, it's about kind of going on a walk with God. Imagine yourself going on a walk with God, taking his hand and walking with him through the ups and the downs and the trials and the mistakes and everything, but walking with him, what that looks like. And here he's he's giving the perspective of, hey, if no matter what time period of your life you're in, you're still on this walk with the Lord. Um, I was listening to a book and it talked about retirement today. Um, and does anyone know where in the Bible it talks about retirement? That's right. That's right. It never talks about it. And the guy who um, was basically the um, guy who was responsible for the whole missionary movement in the Baptist church in the 17 and 1800s, um, he, he had this famous quote that said, um, uh, old age doesn't kill most people, retirement does. Um, and it, especially for the walks of believers. And he was a very big proponent of um, challenging people to not waste their last years, their best years, uh, on the golf course, but to be part of God's kingdom and God's plan and to be part of raising the next generation to serve him and know him and love him. Um, and that's how you got a lot of really great missionaries throughout, throughout the 1700s and 1800s. People had that heart and that idea. Um, so different stages of life is where that all is. Um, let's start at the beginning and see kind of how, how we break down each one. He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I love that. Just the beauty of and simplicity of forgiveness. And that's how you start out with the Lord, huh? The most exciting thing about new Christians is how much they love the fact that they're forgiven. Oh, you have no idea the bad things that I did, and I'm forgiven. And they have just this big smile on their face when they talk about forgiveness. And uh, sometimes as we grow in the Lord, we forget how dirty, rotten sinners we were, don't we? And we start to think, oh, man, this world is full of dirty, rotten sinners. And we forget that we were the worst of all of them, pretty much. If you knew the things that I was capable of. <laughs> you would not want me to be your pastor, but but I'm forgiven, and that's great. We're all forgiven. And so it's awesome that he brings that. He, it's wonderful for new believers to relish in their forgiveness. It's, it's awesome. Um, they shouldn't move on right away. It's a good thing. It's a good place for them to be. So yeah, you're forgiven. Then he says, I write to you fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. So he jumps from the beginning, from the inexperienced Christians, the little children, to fathers. These are the experienced and elders in the church. And he writes to them and he says, you've known him for his, from the beginning. And what he does here is he says, yeah, the beginning is great with the forgiveness. But by the end of your life, what you should have progressed to through maturity is knowing God. Because knowing God is the point of life. 
knowing him. You never grow out of it. And knowing him is different than knowing about him. Um, getting a master's degree in theology means nothing if you don't know God. So someone tell me, how do you get to know God? Spend time with him, okay. Through his word, those are good answers, good answers. Give me a really practical way. Pray, when? <laughs> sure. Well, when, when is it hardest to pray? Okay. Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes that's when we cry out to him the most. Sure. Mm, now you're thinking. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's easy to pray when. It's easy to pray when we're. When things are going great. A lot of times we forget to do it because things are going so great. Mm hmm. On the flip side, sometimes it's hard to pray when you're so. immersed in your sin. Okay. Or when something tragic happens, a lot of times it's when we call out to God, or we just turn our back and go, "You're so great, why did you do this?" Mm -hmm. and walk away. So I mean, it happens in both times, good times and bad times. Right. Right. Okay. Cheater. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, praying is good, but. Uh, does praying help you to know him? Okay. Mm -hmm. I think that you have to kind of combine everything. You have to combine prayer with study of the Word of God, with walking with him. Like that experiential, oh, I remember when I fell in that hole, he was with me. In that whole process and I didn't pray then and I didn't read my Bible but he picked me back up he brought me back he did some things in my heart now I'm different so even that that experiential knowledge of God is is awesome it's it's how we really can walk with him and get to know him um, Job you know Job was suffering 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 you guys know Job and God never answered his prayer of, why is this happening? Job asked, why, 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 why? God was like, let me ask you some questions. Where were you this? Where were you that? And then he said, Job, you're fine. I, me and you are cool. You never did anything wrong to deserve this. But I'm not going to tell you why I did it. I'm going to invite you to walk with me. And he, Job, at the end, he covered his mouth and said, I, I've spoken wrongly. I don't need to know why. I just am glad I'm with you. And he accepted God's invitation to walk with him. I had someone call me on the phone today um, because someone in her life has died recently. And she was asking why, when we prayed so hard, did he die still? And I said, I have no idea. But I do know God invites you to ask that question, and it's a good question. Doesn't mean you're going to get an answer, but asking him is the right thing to do.
because she's going to get to know him more. I was excited about that. All right, the next one. He says, I write to you, young men, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. So if we have beginning of life believers as the little children, and then we have end of life believers as the fathers, here we have young men. These are the middle, middle of the road um, believers, middle of life. These are the believers on the front lines, the front lines. So we don't send our kids out to battle. We don't send our old people out to battle. That would not be very smart. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> so the main uh, set of people in this discussion is the ones who are on the front lines of ministry. And he says, you have overcome the wicked one. Um, and it says that they have, you know, another way to say that is you guys have the ability to have victory over Satan. Nothing can stop you. Jesus said, the gates of hell, this is my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And that's a, an amazing statement, because I, like I said on Sunday, I always pictured Satan coming and attacking us with these big gates, and I was like, that is dumb. I don't know why Jesus would say that. I'm not scared of gates. I mean, we, do we say that the cannons of Satan or the swords of Satan will not prevail against us? I would... I would understand that, but the gates, and then you realize the gates are, it's the gates of his kingdom. It's, it's how he's trying to keep God out of this world and out of the lives of the people he's dominating. And he's trying to keep God away, God's salvation, God's kingdom out. And he, and God is saying, Jesus is saying, well, I'm going to win. Any person I want, I can take at any time. And we get to be involved with that especially the frontline people. He said, they're equipped, they overcome the wicked one. I think that's really cool. It helps me minister with confidence. I don't have to try to convince anyone. I just say, are you ready to get saved yet? I've been praying for you. Are you ready yet? Sometimes they're like, yes. I don't even know how. I don't even know why. Just been praying for them, loving them, you know, and, and they're, they're, all of a sudden they're living their life for the Lord. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing, his power. All right, then he cycles back, and he goes back to the little children. He says, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. So remember, he said the same thing about the, the fathers, that they had known God. It was about knowing God, that experience and knowledge. Here he says, because you have known the Father, little children. Do you ever uh, remember that little kids brag about their dad in kindergarten? You know, when they walk in, their dad is their hero. He can do no wrong. I love that. Um, that's what I think about here is that it's even the newest believer is is pretty excited to have a father in heaven who can just kick anyone's butt, especially Satan, you know? Yeah, and he's forgiven me. He knows everything about me. And sometimes the new believers just have this great, passionate love for their father. A lot of them grew up fatherless. And he becomes a father to them for the first time. It's a really beautiful thing. Um, one Bible study thing I want to point out to you is the word little children, John uses two different words in verse 12 and verse 13. Uh, the first one is technia, and the second one is paidea. Uh, technia has more of an emphasis on the child's relationship of dependence on the parent, while paidea has a more of an emphasis on the child's immaturity and need for instruction. I thought that was interesting. 
Yeah. Which one do you want? The names? Okay. The first name is technia, and it, it has an emphasis on the child's relationship of dependence on a parent. And the second word is P-A-I-D-I-A, paidia. And it has more of an emphasis on a child's immaturity and need for instruction. Okay, so God knows that his little children um, need to depend on him. And he knows that they don't know anything. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> because he, he gets in anyway. And we get so upset when new believers fall and when, and when new believers fail to be mature Christians. <laughs> and God is like, I knew they were dumb and needy. And I saved them anyway. And I'm going to walk with them and help them grow. So don't get frustrated with these guys. You know, let them grow. Needy is a good word. All right. Then he goes on, cycles back to the fathers. He says, I've written to you fathers because you have known him who's from the beginning. Again, he says the same thing to the fathers. Um, and I think the, repeated, the repeating of it is very important because it emphasizes it again. It's like, in case you didn't get it the first time, your whole life is going to be measured and valued by how you know the Father. How you know Him, how you trust Him, the knowledge of Him. Just like Philippians 3.10 says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Just about knowing God. Then he cycles back again to the young men, these frontline believers. He says, I've written to you young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So John again emphasizes the spiritual warfare condition of their life. And uh, in the spiritual warfare that these young men are involved with, the victory always comes by what did it say? By the word of God. Exactly. And it says it abides in their hearts. It, it's at home in their hearts. And truly, if, if a believer reaches that point in their life where they have the Word of God hidden in their heart, they are automatically a powerful force in this world. No, they have different, no matter what their gifts are, as they use their gifts and as they just live their life, they become this light on a hill, this, this wonderfully powerful agent of change in this world. Because if they have the word of God hidden in their hearts, they're going to be asking the Lord for his will to be done on this earth and God listens to the prayers of his children. It's an amazing thing. It's a really cool thing. Right. Exactly. You know, um, my wife and I have been listening to the Bible at night um, and it takes us a while to, to go to sleep. But we go to bed at nine and we generally listen to the Bible for two hours every night. It just helps us to calm down and think and whatever. I don't know. It's really nice. Um, and we've listened to the Bible multiple times through. And it's so amazing now how, how it just affects our mind, our life, our conversations, our, um, our fights, 
not that we really have many anymore. <laughs> the Lord is just really, really sanctifying us and and his word just is in there. It's pretty neat. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and it's it's not it's not difficult. It's we're not like we're not the ones doing it. You know, we're just abiding. We're just staying like a plant abides in a garden. That's all we're doing is hanging out in his word. And it is beautiful. Um, so the very last little part that we're going to look at today is, is we're going to kind of introduce this next challenge to our spiritual walking with God. Remember, this whole letter is about walking with God. John is going to introduce a challenge now that he would like to talk about in our walk with God, and that challenge is worldliness, um, which, since we're American, this applies very specifically to us. Um, <clears throat> he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. What he's saying here is that walking with God and knowing him and fighting battles with him and rejoicing in him is a full-time job. We don't have the capacity to love the world or the things of the world and love God at the same time. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, I've used this illustration before and it always just works really well for me. It helps me understand that you can only hug one thing at a time. It just doesn't work any other way. It's just as awkward, and you can't hug two things. You just, it's, it's all or nothing. You just, you certainly can't kiss more than one thing at a time. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> nice try, Jody. <laughs> one lip this way, one lip that way. There you go. <laughs> well, we certainly want, wouldn't want to be involved in that type of a kiss. So, <laughs> um, you know, we don't have that capacity. We weren't designed for it. We were designed for one love relationship. Now, he doesn't mean that the physical earth or the mass of humanity is not supposed to be loved. You can appreciate the world. You don't have to hate it. Like, oh, I hate trees. That's not what he's talking about. And he's not talking about the world as a mass of people. Oh, I hate the world. He's not saying don't love the world in that way. He's talking about the world as in the global rebellion against God. That world, that when you talk about the world as being everyone that is against God and his son, Jesus. That's the world. He said you can't love that rebellion. Does that mean we ignore the world or remove ourselves from everything that's fun? No. In fact, we enjoy ourselves more than the world does. Uh, because everything we have, we do with our Heavenly Father. And I would much rather go bowling with my dad than by myself. And when you really love your dad, you'd probably rather go with your dad than anyone. Because he's your dad. We'll put up the bumpers for him, right? <laughs> um, in, the, in the first couple hundred years after Jesus, people got pretty intense about this, about... Um, not loving the world or the things of the world, and they became what's called ascetics. And the ascetics were a group of um, people who said, well, if you really want to be holy, if you really want God to like you, you need to move out into the desert 
and live in a very remote place and don't have any pleasures and either be naked or or dress in the worst clothes you can get live off of just the barest water and bread and uh, and just read the bible all day long that's what they said and the thing is some people did that and it was just works man it didn't work it didn't succeed and they just were trying 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 to look better than other people some people did it and it was great because they could have done anything and been happy because they were just happy because they were truly believers and no matter where they went they had the joy of the lord as their strength so yeah they were out there and they started little colleges in the desert and uh, this one guy athanasius was a, was one of these guys and just did an amazing job teaching people the word of God. People would come out there, ask him questions, uh, and he would he would shout down answers from his little cave or whatever the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that's more of a. I don't know. Maybe maybe it has some roots there. I I've seen that more in the Eastern mysticism, religion stuff. Yeah, but maybe. And a lot of guys would, would, then they built walls and they would eventually be called convents where they would, uh, and monasteries where they would build walls where um, people couldn't come in and see them, but they had holes in the wall where people could put food in there to take care of them. They would just trust in people to come and take care of them. And they could ask questions and they would be inside praying for people. It was, it was a weird thing. Weird thing. One guy stood on top of a pole for like 10 years. Yeah. One guy grew his beard so long that he stopped wearing clothes because his beard just was enough. Su- the sufficiency of beards. <laughs> no, those were, um, those were, um, this is after Christ and those were about 400 years before Jesus and those were a Jewish cult um, that that called uh, Essenes, yeah, Essenes, and they um, uh, they they had the Old Testament, the, the, like everyone did at the time, and uh, but they also had a bunch of other books called the Books of the Dead and stuff like that. They they thought there was this big battle between Satan and and God, and they were a big part of it, and uh, they were a very strange group of people, so no one read their books. So that's why their books got hidden away in a cave and and uh, saved for us. And now it proves that our Bible is the exact same one that they had even 500 years before Jesus. It's amazing. The book of Isaiah is just word for word exactly what we have. Like, they, it's amazing proof. Pretty neat. Um, all right. Uh, to close, we're just going to look back at the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 17. I think it's going to relate. So John chapter 17, verse 14 through 18. He says, I have given them your word. Jesus is praying to his father. He says, I have given them, who's the disciples, your word. And the world has hated them because 
they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them, where? Into the world. So, as a critique of the ascetics, uh, I would have to say that they, they didn't do this well. They didn't understand that they were sent to go into the world. Uh, they weren't supposed to go out of the world. Jesus went to great pains to say that they needed to be into the world. Now, I simplified that. There were other reasons why the ascetics did what they did. Um, but it's still a valid conversation. Um, As we have the word, did you see the emphasis of that Jesus put on the word for us? He's saying, as they abide in the word and I've at the word that I've given them, if they would abide in that, they are fully equipped to be missionaries to this dark world. All they need is the Bible. So he says, my word written in their heart by the Holy Spirit enables you and qualifies you to be a light to this dark world. So that's our encouragement for t tonight. No matter what stage of life you're in, young, old, other, <laughs> you are equipped for that, for, for to be used by God.